So I had a few doctors approach me from across the U.S. They wanted to partner and work together to have a satellite office in Austin. And so we started to grow that. And, and subsequently, we've now grown to offer uh, full body aesthetics in the practice. But the real focus is you're going to get the best expert in those areas. So for, for my specialty, it's, it's now become uh, oculoplastics plus minimally invasive aesthetics. But my other partners in the practice may offer, you know, mommy makeover or breast cancer reconstruction or labiaplasty or something that they're uniquely good at. And so we don't have to feel forced to do all those procedures. You just got the best possible person who does a high volume of procedures, can offer you the best results. We call ourselves kind of like a, the super specialist clinic. And it's a unique model. No one's ever done that before in the world. And was founded by an oculoplastics guy who just loved patient care. And I wanted to diversify listening to How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic, the podcast where the most high-performing owners of aesthetic clinics and med spas from all over the world tell their stories and share the strategies and insights that allowed them to grow their business from often humble beginnings to soaring success. If you've ever tried to build a clinic, you'll know that it takes a lot more than just being a great doctor or practitioner, and it helps when you learn from the best in the industry. So join me, Miriam Shaviv, host and director of content at Brainstorm Digital as we explore how aesthetic clinic owners just like you have developed the mindset, skills, and experience to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. Let's jump in. Every clinic owner wants to build the best possible team around them. This often means recruiting great statisticians and reliable doctors while the clinic owner remains the star of the show. Dr. Sean Paul went one step further. He's partnered with the other top surgeons, each with their own specialties, to build what he calls a boutique super specialist practice in Austin, Texas. Today, we're gonna to talk about how this unusual business model works and why Dr. Paul thinks that the way aesthetic clinics are typically run is ripe for disruption. Dr. Paul is originally an oculofacial plastic surgeon, specializing in eyelid and facial plastic surgery. He has a business degree from the highly prestigious business honors program at the University of Texas at Austin, as well as a medical degree from the University of Texas Medical School, where he served as class president for four years. He practiced and undertook further training in Miami, Beverly Hills, and Chicago before returning to his native Texas and building up Austin face and body extraordinarily quickly, growing from a solo practitioner to a network of clinics with nearly a dozen satellite locations in just six years. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Dr. Sean Paul. Hi, it's lovely to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Absolutely, our pleasure. Um, so you have a very, very um, particular niche. Um, you're an oculofacial plastic surgeon. Um, why don't you tell us, before we start, a little bit about that and, and how did that come to be your specialty? Well, thanks for having me. And that's a great question to start because not a lot of people know what an oculoplastic surgeon is. And so, you know, part of my background before I got into my specific specialty was figuring out what I enjoyed. And I really liked vision rehabilitation. I loved surgery. My mother was an esthetician. I had an interest in that area. My father was a family practice and obstetrician gynecologist. So I really got kind of a mixture of that uh, exposure growing up. Um, 
And then I really felt that um, one of the toughest holy grails in aesthetics was the under eye to cheek junction, which is a really challenging area to treat, um, whether it was surgical or um, injectable or laser or radio frequency treatments or thread lifts or whatever else. There's so many different choices in that area. And so um, in addition to the cosmetic part, uh, medically, when it came to cancer reconstruction and trauma, you know, I was really able to, to kind of find my, my, an area where I could be an expert in. So I spent uh, six years in training after my medical school and just worked through the American Society of Ophthalmic, Plastic, and Reconstructive Surgery. That's, in, that's a mouthful. Um, and, and there was about 20 fellows a year that were selected uh, to do that specialty. So it was two years of uh, orbital surgery, eyelid surgery, reconstruction, trauma, and cosmetics. And I just thought it was really special and something that I could just fall in love with. And I love it. So at the time, were you already thinking that you, uh, obviously, from a business perspective, niching is really, really important. Was that part of your thinking at all? Or was it really just found something that you love? I think that one of the dichotomies in the U.S. is choosing between doing insurance-based cases and cosmetic-based cases. And I guess analogous to like an ophthalmologist who's doing LASIK surgery and then medical cataract surgery, I felt like with that field, I could hone both skills. Like it'd be a great reconstruction surgeon if someone had a cancer defect or a trauma and then cosmetically could improve the appearance and so from a business standpoint and a little background about me as i did uh, i was in an honors program for business at the university of texas i worked at dell uh, was a strategy consultant i worked for a restaurant business and did restaurant consulting i had a unique insight and i started my first business when i was 14 as a, as a mobile disc jockey company and grew to you know six different uh djs helping me throughout the weekends to, to, to do high school parties. So operationally, I, I knew that that was advantageous. And then I think to, to be able to, to be able to uh, offer both an insurance based practice plus a cosmetic rate practice when I was starting was a great way to, to enter the field and kind of reach a lot of different uh, patients and physician referrals for sure. So obviously I'm not a physician, but from, from what I understand, um, the, the oculofacial plastic surgery um, can also involve some very um, traumatic kind of patients, essentially. Um, people who may lose their eyes, people who have cancer. Um, you must have come across um, or must be dealing with some very heartbreaking stories. Day -to -day. Yeah, I'm the director for trauma at a, at a level two trauma center in, in, in Austin. And, and we see a we'll see complex trauma that'll involve neurosurgery, oral maxillofacial surgery, craniofacial surgery, facial plastic surgery, all in the same operative suite at the same evening. Uh, that may include uh, the loss of an eyeball, the, the injury to an orbit, the loss of an eyelid. I've seen uh, young children with dog bites to their tear ducts having to repair that and deal with the post-operative process there. And also cancer. I mean, eyelid cancer um, gets funneled through us. We work in conjunction and collaboration with dermatology, most surgeons to reconstruct the medial canthal area, which is a challenging area to treat. So definitely um, it can be very tough. And I was just doing a consultation with a patient about recovery after lower lip blepharoplasty. And even in this you know, day and age with masks to hide things, you can't really mask your eyes. I mean, that's an area that just takes time to recover. And so if you have a, have a have an injury or loss of tissue due to cancer, uh, you have to be an expert not only in the anatomical repositioning of all the tissues, but also the skin healing and wound healing and scar healing and re regeneration of those tissues. So 
Yeah, I mean, it, 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 is, it is very impactful. It keeps me motivated to improve my results. It also keeps me motivated to, to add in new technology to get better results for my patients. So considering you had something that was so specialized, I would have imagined that you could really have built an entire practice just around that. So what made you want to add um, really the more general aesthetics around that? So I, I actually, I did that at first. For my first three years of practice, I built a, a, a an oculoplastics only practice. My first year I was doing 100% reconstruction and trauma and cancer and functional surgery. And then I just really started to enjoy those patients coming back and wanting more aesthetic procedures. Uh, started out with injectables and brow lifts and lower lids. And I've done a ton of it. I was very fortunate to go to the Medical College of Wisconsin uh, and trained with five amazing faculty and community faculty as well and got a really nice um, uh, training base in facial aesthetics, uh, fat transfer, uh, other things that most traditional oculoplasticians didn't get. So I, I kind of had a unique skill set. Uh, you know, I did 40 primary facelifts as a fellow, which sometimes more than more than facial plastic surgery fellows get as in, in, in training. So I wanted to build that strong medical base. I became a resource in the community for, for good medical care. And then I brought in a second surgeon to duplicate what I do, which was a second oculoplastic surgeon. And then slowly and surely, we started to, you know, uh, add on minimally invasive treatments for face tightening and neck and other areas. And I started to train for different device companies because I was creating some innovative techniques. And so uh, 2000, um, in 2019, I started to train, I trained 120 physicians across the U.S. and lectured across the world on these different techniques. A lot of them were body plastics and, and other specialties as well. So I had a few doctors approach me um, from across the U.S. They wanted to partner and work together to have a satellite office in Austin. And so we started to grow that. And, and subsequently, we've now grown to offer uh, full body aesthetics in the practice. But the real focus is you're going to get the best expert in those areas. So for, for my specialty, it's, it's now become uh, oculoplastics plus minimally invasive aesthetics. But my other partners in the practice may offer, you know, mommy makeover or breast cancer reconstruction or labiaplasty or something that they're uniquely good at. And so we don't have to feel forced to do all those procedures. You just got the best possible person who does a high volume of procedures, can offer you the best results. We call ourselves kind of like a, the super specialist clinic, and, and it's, it's a unique model. No one's ever done that before in the world, and was founded by an oculoplastics guy who just loved patient care, and I wanted to diversify. So wh when did you actually set up your clinic? It wasn't in that long ago, really. No, it was about six years ago is when we started everything, and the transformations happened over the last, uh, last two and a half years toward, toward the full, full face and body just from the oculoplastics. Okay, so ex explain to me what the vision was. Obviously, you had a vision right at the beginning, which was the oculoplastic um, um, vision, but that has, that has evolved. So at what stage did you kind of say, you know what, I need a new vision here. I have a new vision for the clinic. And, and what, what was that really? Internally, you have to decide like what kind of goals you want to set in your career and what motivates you. I think work-life balance is critical to giving yourself time to, um, to focus on growth and business development. I was really maxed out surgically operating three to four days a week. And so I knew that like, I couldn't sustain that long-term. I don't think I would, I would get the same fulfillment out of my career. Also, I think 
many physicians go to practices that aren't run by physicians. It's important to have a physician in a leadership role who understands business. And that I, I kind of, you have to have an internal reflection, understand that. And so as I began to recruit doctors to help join me, I wanted people who had that same sort of vision that they wanted a physician led practice. And that was different than what was offered in the community I lived in. But even now we don't just attract from Texas or Austin, which is a city I live in. Even in this last week, we've had virtual consultations across the globe and patients fly in to see us. And I think that there's the world we live in is uniquely different. We were offering virtual consultations well before COVID happened. So for us, it was a natural transition. I mean, this morning alone, I did six virtual consultations before my afternoon clinic where I did procedures and, and new consultations. And, um, you know, so that's kind of how it went that way. I, I, I didn't write the textbook on this. I didn't know it was going to go like this. I thought I'd end up building just an oculoplastic solo specialty, but um, you know, with eyes, you kind of are in, in kind of no man's land. You, you're right next to the nose. We don't want to do rhinoplasty. So why not have someone do this amazing rhinoplasty as, as one of your partners in the group? And then it goes right down toward the neck and the body. And then you have patients who are happy with their face and they feel comfortable with your staff. They like your, like your style. They want doctors of a similar mentality as you. And so part of my mission was to bring in physicians with that same mentality and who could really focus on what they enjoyed the best. You can, you can take an, an, an entry job out of training and be really forced to do things you don't want to do or don't enjoy. And I really tried to build a very boutique field practice where the surgeons can be the best surgeons possible. Our estheticians who do lasers can be the best laser technicians and skincare consultants possible. And our nurses can provide great care and do injections if they need to. I mean, there's all sorts of different options for, for people that join our practice. Um, Austin, if, 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 you, if you don't mind me asking, are you still the, the owner of the business or is there a different kind of partnership model there? Yeah, I'm, I'm still owner of the business, but each of the doctors adding on has, you know, has the ability once they, they get to different metrics in the practice to go to partnership. We want our doctors to, to be here long-term. We want them to feel ownership and, and want them to grow with us as we, as we grow the practice. Cause it only helps them feel like, you know, I don't, we don't micromanage our positions. We don't check the check that they clock in or clock out. We, we just build their schedule and they provide good care. And then they need to take a three day weekend to take care of family stuff, whatever needs to be done. Like there's no question. That's, I think that's the, I'm kind of an old soul from that standpoint. Like physicians need that freedom to, feel like they own a practice, even if you don't technically financially own it, but if you own your career, it's just as important because what happens is, is corporate medicine has changed the way things run when private equity and other things have gotten involved. And then people are, you're running through so quick, so many patients and it's just not, it's not fun anymore. It's gotta be fun. And so you have to create an environment where people are excited to come to work. They get to practice the way they want to, you know, I'm, I'm not even 40 years old yet. I'm, I'm a younger buck in this whole changing environment so somebody's got to put their neck out there and say hey having ownership on their destiny is critical and i think that too many times it's easy to default back and say well i should take the job the the academic job or the group job or i'm or i'm doctor number 12 of the same specialty and you're struggling you may be in the town you want to be in but you're struggling so you know i just did not want to create that i wouldn't have felt proud about that uh, in my short, because my career is only going to last whatever will, and I'd like to put a nice mark that hey, physicians still have the ability to take ownership back of the way they want to want to run now, their lives. 
So how do you balance um, giving the physicians in your practice that, that sense of independence, which is clearly really important to, to you and to them, um, and a team feel? Does it still have that team feel? Is that something that you cultivate delib- specifically, deliberately? It, it is a challenge. I mean, you, you, you want, I think physicians, they want one of two things. They want to be in the operating room with their surgeons that they truly in love surgery, or they want to feel like they can build a practice they can feel proud of and they enjoy. I think it's just like if you have a staff member who's doing a task they just don't particularly enjoy or aren't very good at, and you keep trying to train them and train them and they're not getting better at it. You just have to really know your people inside out. And that starts at the beginning when the interview process begins. And so you find out what makes them tick, what they enjoy, what their family enjoys, uh, what gets them out of bed in the morning. And you just kind of cater to your physicians and you make sure they, because they will inherently be productive. You certainly want to do checkpoints, you know, at least once a month or minimum once every quarter to check in with them to show them how their business numbers are running, how efficient they are, what services they're using, what ancillary you know, devices, lasers, et cetera, they're using so they can understand. Because there's a, there's a ginormous gap in training that does not teach physicians the importance of, in private practice, you are truly in business. And if you don't know how to run a business, you were never taught it, you'll never know the right questions to ask. And so I take pride in trying to help them understand where they can be financial goals if they want to purchase a house or if they want to buy into a different investment. Like I just try to, I want to make sure they can feel like they have that guidance in our practice. So you you essentially you help them with the with the business side and actually understanding that it's a business. As much as they want to understand, I have some surgeons that you know are just more focused on doing their surgery and they just want to make sure that they're meeting their goals and that's okay too. And I think that's why certain of the physicians are more on the um, C-level side or the president side, or whatever you call it, where they're on the business side and they have to make the tough decisions, which includes, you know, HR, includes discussing benefits for your staff and scheduling, which isn't the fun side, but someone's got to do it. And so, but also speaking to the uh, doctors, you also have to invest in your staff as well and making sure they're getting on career goals. And, you know, if, if your if your medical assistant wants to become a nurse, you want to kind of see how that looks with the practice as, and, and how the day-to-day runs as well. So, you know, I enjoy it. I, I get a pleasure out of helping people uh, reach their goals. And, but also it's a give and take. I'm like, well, we still have, you know, the day-to-day business we have to run and we have to grow. And so, as you kind of build your team and certainly our practice has gone through some growth and transformation, you know, you have to have a risk profile you're willing to take and not take, whether it's investing in a new device or, or building a new office or building a surgery suite. Like there's all those factors that go into it. So let's talk about that growth. Obviously you've grown enormously quickly. Um, What's really, has there been a specific strategy that you've pursued in order to grow that way? blinders on don't listen to anyone else outside and focus on good patient care and excellent surgical results i think i think that that is about as simple as i can put it um when you're when you're the new guy in town and you you care so much about what else is going around in the external world you can kind of lose focus and i think you know end of year one you get over that initial hiccup of just trying to get your first patient in the door And then next thing you know, it's word of mouth referrals and physician referrals. Um, We're very active on social media, on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, all those things. Like that's a critical piece of connecting with patients. Uh, We posted two two recent YouTube videos up on 
an innovative neck procedure we perform that's all minimally invasive under local anesthesia that gets you surgical-like results that actually works really well, um, as well as a laser resurfacing procedure. And, and, you, and you get your patients to, to advocate for you and talk for you, and it's not, it's not paid. They, they're happy to do it. Your patients are happy to support you. It's the hardest thing to do to get patients to, to give feedback and all those pieces together kind of led to this sort of, you know, happy happiness we have inside with the growth of the practice. So I didn't, I didn't know if we were going to be where we are now. And I certainly, and I think it's important to have a mission statement to understand what you want to stick to. And ours has always been blended approach from surgical and non-surgical, which I think is critical. Um, and then executing, I mean, following through, uh, willing to take on a calculated risk, not just buying a device and saying, well, there's an interest, but not doing the numbers or the marketing analysis before you invest in it or estimating what kind of number, what volume you're going to have. And, you know, I don't like surprises in my, in my practice. I want to, I want to make calculated decisions. So there, so, so when you bring on a new device, it's with a proper business plan. I think you want to have a need or a want. You want to have your staff, including physicians and nurses to understand the price point. You want your call center to understand and be knowledgeable about the device. So if they're asked questions about it, we can speak intelligently. You want to have good before and after pictures on the devices. And you want to make yourself an expert, a self-reclaimed ex expert or not. You want to know it inside out because a patient is, you know, taking time out of their day, whether to get on a video conference call or come see you. I value that. I mean, I know, I'm sure you feel the same way. If you're taking your kids to a doctor's appointment or, or, or your, or your parents to a doctor's appointment like that doctor and you have like that 15 minutes to connect understand so you put down your cell phone you put everything else down you have to be in the moment with them and you can help you are literally you're really changing the way people make decisions about things so i take it very seriously and so if i want to bring on something i'm going to promote or discuss i want to make sure they're crystal clear on what that that treatment can accomplish for them and why they might choose that versus surgery or a traditional injectable um, t tell me a little bit about your satellite offices. I know that you have, is it 13, 14? How, Somewhere. How you... <laughs> yeah. So, like that, you've lost count. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so the initial model of our practice was a wheel and spoke model where basically we had the hub, which is our main hub. And then we went out to satellite communities where they didn't have oculoplastic specialists, which kind of went across the entire state of Texas. Um, that worked really well because initially it started out as reconstructive referrals and then patients slowly and surely artists uh, also got the word out about the cosmetic. And so we simply would be consulting out there, meeting patients closer to home. Texas is a pretty large state. So for us to kind of take a mobile office and we would sublease space at those different offices and kind of use space that wasn't utilized elsewhere and see patients locally. That worked really well um, initially, and it works really well on the medical side. And then slowly, as you build your cosmetic practice, you're able to kind of, you know, dictate your schedule a little bit better and, and travel as much or as little as you want. Certainly, if you're bringing on a new doctor, it's a great opportunity to have instant business for them because you've already had a relationship. So I did all that groundwork. You know, I started that process. It was a way for me to really get to know my community gets to understand the needs are and kind of do true, true, true old school on the ground market research and understand what the needs were, where potentially we're going to do ad spend in the future. Um, what the doctors tick, what the, what makes the doctors tick in those community? Do they really want you to do 
medical or cosmetic or both. And so, and it's been relationship building. I have so many friends in those communities, physicians, patients, it's been awesome. So I got to kind of recalibrate over, over the entire state of Texas over the first five years I did that. So are those now, are those now full-time offices and with full-time people? So we begin by leasing out by use and some of them have grown. So now we have two full-time offices and the rest are satellite, but some of the satellites grow to full-time. So hence also as we bring on more physicians, we're able to kind of grow those. And so it's a very efficient, neat model whenever you're trying to test a market and, and understand where your clients are coming from and who wants to be seen locally and who's willing to drive to the big city or drive to the, the different part of town and come see you. So, um, but what's so intriguing is the way the world changed over the last year and a year and how video conferencing made things even smaller. And so now all of a sudden, you know, even though I couldn't travel, I was seeing people still from all over the country all through COVID. And it was, it was like, it was a seamless change. So I've, I've actually been shocked, shocked at how many people, um, whether it's due to under, knowing me personally through social media or my website or however, they feel like they already know me before they've met me on video conferencing. And so I'll talk to them on the virtual consultation and they will literally see me the next time at their procedure date. They'll take photos, we'll meet, we'll exchange pleasantries and then we move on. And um, that's what makes this so beautiful about technology, it makes the world very small. Yeah, it feels very personal and marketing can really help do the same thing, um, which we'll talk about. We'll talk about in a minute, maybe after our break. But before that, I have another question for you just about the satellite offices. Um, so, so once you do have permanent staff elsewhere, um, yep. how do you how do you kind of maintain the brand and maintain control once you have people really in different locations and different offices? Was that something that worried you and how have you overcome that if you have? Absolutely. I mean, I was a solo practitioner for, you know, three years and, you know, to kind of have, not have your thumb underneath someone or underneath the group, it's very challenging. So the first point of business was to hire a manager who oversaw the multiple locations and then hire on-site supervisors uh, to maintain um, that feel. Um We've in the in the full time offices we're able to maintain the same call center, so we have the phones ringing at different locations that all cover the same location. So that brings a, a sense of cohesiveness. We have a text messaging system within the practice and outward to patients, which has been very very helpful. So we all still feel like we're on the same team. Um, obviously, doctors, you know, some of us are in the office doing procedures, in the hospital doing procedures, outpatient surgery doing uh, procedures, or in the office doing clinic, and so. We're kind of all floating. We try to meet as regularly as we can, at least once a month to reconnect. Um, and it'll particularly happen more as we continue to grow. Um, and it could it's even, it was even more challenging during COVID. None of us were really, we couldn't even see, it was just an odd situation. So I think time will tell how, I, I know as, as you grow, you lose control, but at the same time, there's certain checkpoints we've put in place, which have been helpful on the business side to kind of check in with one another, make sure that, one office doesn't feel not like another office. So, you know, consistent branding from a signage standpoint, even our door signage is similar at each office. And like, it just, you kind of want certain things. Yes, there may be some different shades on the walls and little floor differentiating things, but overall that's been critical. So that's something that you have been consciously, do you consciously think about though? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that people, it's recognition. Let's say one patient sees me at one location one month and six months later, they see me at another one. People go off certain cues, certain smells, certain, we have, we have similar flowers in the office, bathrooms are different. Like there's certain things you have to do that people have recognition with them. Even skincare offerings like consistency and coloring, you know, we changed from blues and grays and whites to black, white, and kind of a, a distressed brass coloration in the last year. That was a big, you know, palette change for our team. And we went from blue scrubs to black scrubs in the office. That was a change. And, you know, you're going to get lots of opinions when you make changes. But, um, but the point is the details matter. Yeah, it's absolutely. Well, I mean, you want the same details on your facelift or your eyelid lift too. So patients appreciate it for sure, I think. And I think it goes noted. I mean, we're, we're just finishing a move to a new main office. And so we're in the process of finishing our interior design. So I am personally in all those meetings, I make sure the vision meets what I want it to meet like. And I think I had friends who are starting their own practice, always asking like, why do you spend so much time in those meetings or on social media? I'm like, because that is the outward reflection of me, your social media presence or presence is you. I mean, that's what it is. You can't kid yourself. So I have to ask you, you've gone from, you said you've been, you were a solo practitioner for three years and now you're running what's really a big operation. How does yeah. that kind of impact you personally? Like that must be a lot to take on. You know, there's all, there's the business aspect for sure, but that's a big personal change to go through to, for being a solo practitioner to the owner of really quite a substantial business in a relatively short amount of time. I think I had to remember the first thing that was hard for me was not having to do all the surgery because initially you're so used to doing, doing everything. And then when you realize, okay, I can't do everything is figuring out who the best hires were to replace what you can do that can be reproducible, but what you can't be, but then then figure out what you do that's not reproducible. So for me, it was the administrative leadership side, which was a need for the practice. So allocating time for me to commit to that, and then having a surgeon come in and backfill me on some of the surgeries as well. You know, you had to go through that tradition initially. Um, and then personally, yeah, I mean, time management is critical. Um, allocating time for staff reviews and um, outside of surgery and, and kind of growth strategy sessions, in addition to personal family life, things like that. Like it's a lot of balancing it all out, but um I've learned not to take things so hard and kind of just take it in stride. And sometimes things don't go as planned, you know, construction delays. There was a huge ice storm in Austin a month ago and things got delayed. Like, you know what? Things happen. It all ends up working out. And I really think, again, going back to your core tenants in your business, which are, if you focus on good patient care, which is one of our core tenants, as well as that blended approach, you're going to get a good team, team result and, and adding value, which is keep, keep revisiting, you know, your, your strategies, keep being critical of your strategies and making sure you're staying online. And so personally, yeah, there's some stress, but I, I kind of thrive off of it. I don't see my, I, I didn't see myself doing the circling. You know, when I came out of training, I interviewed all over the country at, you know, academic jobs, private practice jobs, uh, multi-specialty groups, um, solo specialty groups. And I just really felt I had it within me to kind of set up my own path and, I couldn't have dreamed it was going to end up for this where we are now, but it's been. Now, it's been do you now think of yourself as a surgeon or as a businessman or as some kind of some somewhere in the middle or both. 
I think I'm always a doctor first. And it's kind of funny. We're talking on national doctors day, but it is true. I mean, I think it's like the biggest, biggest pride in the world to be able to take care of people and their most, you know, kind of exposed settings whenever they're just confiding in you about things. That's very special. Um, but if you have a knack on a way to grow something you really believe in, that's really special that people can get behind. It's been, it's been fun to, to share my, my knowledge in business um, and kind of help grow us in the right direction. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here. When we get back, we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about your marketing, which I'm really interested to hear about, and a really innovative conference that you put together, um, which you which went through a little bit of a COVID, uh, COVID bump, but still, still came out good. And I'm looking forward to hearing about that after the break. Over the past six years, We've helped dozens of aesthetic clinics and med spas all over the world promote themselves online. We're constantly examining what works and what doesn't and tweaking our methods to help clinics grow faster and more easily. Looking back on hundreds of campaigns, we concluded that there are just four pillars which separate the five-star clinics from the average Joes you see everywhere online. The best clinics don't promote absolutely everything, they focus on a small number of highly profitable treatments in their marketing. Repeat business is at the heart of their campaigning. They understand that existing patients are more profitable and easier to convert than new ones. They immerse their patients and their leads in their world, marketing frequently in several places in a very coordinated way. Finally, their marketing feels intimate and personal, not generic. These four factors are the pillars of our aesthetic immersion marketing system. If you're tired of marketing that doesn't resonate or make you stand out, and you have spare capacity and expensive machines which are being underutilized, this new marketing approach can help you stay busy with your most profitable treatments. To find out more about the aesthetic immersion marketing system, visit www.aestheticimmersionmarketing.com. I'll put that address in the show notes so you don't have to remember it. Or you can just email me directly at miriam at brainstorm-digital.co.uk. Now back to the show. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with Dr. Sean Paul, um, and we are about to talk about your marketing. Um, so obviously, as you mentioned before, in order to really grow a practice, your marketing has been really, really critical. Um, what, do you have a particular marketing philosophy? That's a great question. I, I think marketing philosophy to me is, is branding number one, because you want people to know, you want to brand your surgeons, you want to brand your, brand your providers, you also want to brand like the overlying umbrella. And then service is number two, because I think people invest in people. I don't think they invest in like a particular laser or a particular filler or a particular something. And so I think it's, I think like when you're building a team, I, I kind of, feel like you know if you have a, a soccer team and you have a great forward and a great goalkeeper you have to put the right team players together but then when your soccer team is trying to sell jerseys they have there's reasons that certain players attract different uh followings per se and so i think the more storytelling you share with your physicians and more storytelling you share with your providers whether it be through a TikTok or through Instagram stories or through a YouTube live video. I mean, there's lots of ways to do it. 
you have to you have to try a lot of different strategies and see what works and see what you connect with and make sure that your core centerpiece which most marketing people agree with which is google and your website no matter what it always defaults back to that even in the advent of social media make sure that mirrors what you're pushing out there to the public and so we are continually critical i had a to our marketing meeting yesterday specifically on a new service line we're launching. Um, and so, you know, I think you just want to not stray too far from who you are and, and focus on the expertise, but share the story, share the story of do things like this, talk on a podcast about who you are as a person, maybe about the way you think, because our voyeuristic society loves getting inside people's heads and understanding kind of what they're all about. The relationships are super, super important. People need to feel that you understand them and they equally need to feel that they know you. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. At the end of the day, when people feel that they know you through your marketing, that there's almost nothing more powerful than that because they, they trust you and it's extremely, extremely important. Um, yeah. I, do have, I do have one area where I disagree with you actually in what you just said. Um, you said that the most, the, the, the absolute core is going to be your, uh, what do you say, your Google and, and your website. Now, of course, no one would discount that, but I would add a third pillar to that, which is your email. How important to you, which is oh. really to me that the core of, of reaching um, your existing clients and your existing list um, and getting repeat business, which to us is one of the, the pillars of our aesthetic immersion marketing. Um, how yeah. important is that to you? Get Critical. I, I, sorry, I didn't say it earlier, but yeah, we were um, reviewing our monthly email out, introducing a new esthetician in our practice and services to our existing clientele. Um, you want to educate them. They look at you as a resource for um, what's safe, what's new on the market, what do you offer. Um, you know, in this in the U.S. right now with COVID and things opening back up, I think people are looking for a reason to get out and maybe see a familiar face. And um, just being a resource for them to, to confide in and, and, and talk to. And, you know, I can't tell you how many patients that I saw last, you know, six months in particular that I was the first person they saw outside their house. And that is a, um, that is very special. I feel very almost like guilty that I was the first person that they saw and not even some of their family members. So, I mean, like, you know, that is, um, and, and it could be for medical or aesthetic reasons, both, but, we take a lot of pride in that relationship um, and email marketing. Um, and, you know, we could go on, I'm sure we can go on a whole nother podcast about text messages, email versus phone call. I think phone call is still the most personal, personal one that I found, although there's some pros and cons to doing the phone call, but you're able to still deliver a feel of your brand and your services through email and people check their email all the time and so it's a little bit less intrusive and I think it's an important way to to drip into someone's life and, and kind of uh, make sure you're still sh showing your presence without being too intrusive. So it sounds like you're doing a lot of different things so how well coordinated are um, all your messages on the different platforms is that also important to you do you guys map it out really carefully? We're in the process of improving it so my background and when I speak at the different cosmetic meetings across the world a lot of us on marketing as well so everybody kind of knew me as the guy who started to really first do instagram and social media and things like that in the osteoplastics world um so that's always been a forefront of my thing as i've grown even i don't have as much time as i used to although it was always a focus to do all those things um i think the balance between raw content and 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 uh 
curated content is a challenge for me personally right now. I mean, there's some content that takes time and production efforts and high level camera shoots and, you know, before and after pictures and patient testimonies, it takes a lot of time and those need to be shown to patients and YouTube and other places or things we can place those, but those may not be best set in, in other platforms. And so, um, I'm really trying to kind of, you know, as we grow, we're growing the practice a bit more next few months with some other providers coming in. Um, we're trying to stay true to the brand and also still true to the physician. Because I still think you don't want to get lost in just a name brand only in the medical world. People really do care who they see and they will drive or they will fly to see if they really want to see in person. So, um, even when it came, like we mentioned before, either the color palette or the tone. I remember we we had we had one blunder a few years back working with a particular group who started to help us with social media. And I got a text message from my sister and said, hey, Sean, that doesn't sound like you anymore. And that was a big, you know, wake up call of as much as I want to step away, I would say marketing if not operation being, if not being as important as operation is more important than the operation sometimes on, on how you are viewed outside in. And you're going to get plenty of people that love you, people that hate you. And you just have to keep going and, 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 and get feedback, you know, take surveys from your patients, ask them about how they heard about you. What, what, where do they enjoy hearing from you? Do they like your post on Facebook or, or email or do they, or, or are they just, you know what, we just, we just like the text messages on the phone or whatever it may be. I mean, we try a lot of different things and I think, if you get complacent and comfortable, I think you're doing a patient's a disservice because um, just in the last year with video conferencing, we saw how messaging, how uh, uh, communication changed quickly and you need to be able to, to shift with the times. Okay, so talking about changing with the times and innovation, um, there's one other thing that I want to talk to you about, which is Idea Austin, which is your um, the conference that you put together. Um, what was your what was your idea? No pun intended. Um, <laughs> it's not a very good one anyway. Um, for for that for that conference, what what was your vision there? Uh, what did you want to create that really didn't exist elsewhere? So Austin, Texas is particularly kind of a, a hub for innovation uh, with a conference called South by Southwest, which brings together movies, music, technology, really started as a music festival uh, many, many moons ago and has transformed into uh, a technology and innovation platform for like-minded people to get together at a conference. And so I'd always wanted to do something with medical aesthetics, entrepreneurship, and kind of just making it very fun and a, and a, and a way to bring together both my relationships uh, professionally as well as in the industry and then, you know, a, a different uh, conglomerate of speakers together. So we had sponsorships brought in from uh, industry in the aesthetics world and the non-aesthetics world um, as well, um, such as Ferrari sponsored the event, which is pretty amazing. Uh, they they gave amazing, they were, everybody's plan was to give amazing talks in person. And I'll tell you what happened shortly, but in person on all these things. And we had rented out a facility, uh, kind of a pub bar and grill location. So it was very low, not like a typical conference you'd go to for a medical conference and kind of interact and talk and preview the technology and meet some very well-known speakers. Uh, two days prior, this was March 11th, 2000. 20 we all know in the u.s up in march 13th everything shut down and so there you go we had to we, so of course you know poured my heart and soul into doing this thing that that would be really fun innovative um this was about 
nine months, 12 months of planning prior to get it done and literally just pulled out from underneath you. Oh, <laughs> and then as you probably saw, and we all saw, everybody immediately was like, okay, now what do I do? The conference world, the event planning mode, every, world, everybody had to sort of just digest it all. And then we all went to Instagram lives and Zoom meetings and, and sort of this virtual conference and started to form. And then there was this backlash against that. Like, I don't want to do a virtual conference. It's so impersonal. Why would I do that? And then the other half of the world was trying to figure out, well, am I safe? Am I healthy? And like, it was a very unusual time. So after some thinking we did, you know, about five months later, launch a virtual version of Idea Austin. We did some unique things with this event. Uh, I really had, I really wanted to monitor other conferences and see what was done. And we decided to pre-record the discussion. So we had professional finish that could be reprocessed in the future. And that also that our speakers could feel proud of and use in different modalities to help promote themselves. Cause a lot of the traditional marketing and, and discussions with one another were just not done. Um, I mean, we just weren't able to be done like going to meetings and, and things like that and public speaking. So we wanted high level quality. We hired a Hollywood movie producer to come in and run this whole thing and pre-record the video, which was quite time intensive. And that was probably more stressful than if we had done a live event, quite frankly. But and the quality ended up being really good. And of course, there were some you know, things we could have gone back and done better, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, we, we ended up having about 700 people involved on the online platform at one time, which I think was fantastic. And that was, can people, about, can people still watch it? We'll have clips posted on our YouTube page for sure, uh, which, which will be good. So just tell me very quickly. So of all the speakers, it was now a while back, but nevertheless, um, what were the trends that you, that you saw amongst the speakers that they were talking about that particularly grabbed you? You know, we were really lucky to get a lot of different sponsorships um, from companies like InMode and Allergan and, you know, Ferrari of Austin and, and uh, you know, Prolenium, Evelis, a, a lot of different variety of people. I think what people really vibed on was... Um, was the blended approach to aesthetics and how there's there it's just there was no one really talking about traditional surgery anymore and i'm not saying that's i don't want to discount what i do because i've spent years and years and years doing that but for the amount of downtime you're going to get from surgery i think that there is an entire gap that's that's currently being filled with um with things that you can do to prejuvenate or prevent more invasive longer downtime procedures and that market continues to grow uh, whether it's a non-invasive body contouring device a laser treatment injectable treatments regenerative treatments and so we really were very particular in picking a variety of experts to come in and talk about all those areas so there was it was awesome and i think um you know particularly radio frequency treatments has kind of been a hot topic over the last couple of years hearing people who are blending those treatments with other treatments as well. Now that those things are kind of coming in vogue and people are starting to use them to get more surgical like results is critical. And also I think it's important to think about what things may not be working and you have to kind of take with a grain of salt to what people say works and doesn't work because they may not be using it correctly. And so I think sharing those pearls on actually how to properly use these different treatments in your practice was great. You know, we, we, we spend so much time building our practice and growing our practice. You don't want to send someone out and give them no options. That's not your duty as a physician or a provider. You want to at least give them some options. And so, I don't know. That, that was the best part, I think. Are you going to do it again next year? 
that is the plan. So we haven't announced it formally a lot yet, but it, I, we, we hope to announce it soon. But we think we're going to do it uh, in the fall of 2021. Of course, we can't formally announce anything yet just due to, uh, you know, large gathering guidelines. But that's our goal. And I think the worst case scenario will be live in 2022 during South by Southwest in Austin again. But I think there's a lot of demand. People want to come to Austin, Texas. You know, we have so many exciting things happening here between, you know, Elon Musk moving here and Joe Rogan moving here and all these kind of really amazing uh, people. I feel like Austin's really going to become a, a technology and a, a sort of a think tank center for the future. Um, it's really the next boomtown in the United States. And so there's been a lot of energy, uh, positive energy here. And um, people love innovation. I think the aesthetic space is lacking that excitement. We have some interesting things. But it's nice when you have that mixture of everyone coming together. So um, looking back, I just have one, one final question I'd like to end on. Looking back at your entire career, um, which today it hasn't been, you know, you're still at the beginning of it, really. Um, but you have grown something incredible. So what is the biggest lesson that you've learned from this journey um, and that other clinic owners can learn from your, from your experience? It's, it's very generic, but it comes from my father, who is an amazing physician and um, a consultant for my practice. He helps me, you know, with different things throughout the day or week. Um, it's just don't let the highs get you too high and lows get you too low. And because you're going to have pretty dark moments, you know, it's pretty lonely when you're running something and you're kind of you don't know who else to talk to who to bond with who to share personal information about the business or growth even podcasts like this like you know you, you don't know what's 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 the right thing to share or not but um you're gonna have really good moments and you don't want to over celebrate and you have really crappy moments and you don't want to get down um so stay humble as well as critical i mean you can get you can feel really up and feel good and you get humbled very quickly um, and be thankful, be thankful for the people that helped you along the way. Um, I certainly didn't do all this myself. I have an amazing supportive family and uh, spouse and great kids and great parents and great siblings that are just super supportive um, and get your message out there. If, if you don't let people let know what you do, you're living in a bubble. And I think that, you know, don't be afraid to try something that is out of your comfort zone, whether it's doing a podcast or filming a TikTok or, or whatever it may be, like you should be able to, to do those things and not everybody can, and maybe it's a gift or not, or whatever that like, some people can do that or not, but I just, life's short. I'm just having fun. You got to enjoy the whole ride. That was quite a few um, lessons to leave us with. All of them excellent. Thank you very much. Um, well, thank, you very much thank you very much for a really, really interesting, um, interesting interview. Thank you, um, Dr. Sean Paul. If people want to get in touch with you, where, where's the best place? So you can go to our website, which is austinfaceandbody.com, and, or you can go to Instagram at Dr. Sean Paul or Twitter at Dr. Sean Paul. Okay, and of course, we'll put all those links in the show notes. Anyone who's listening to this, you just have to go straight under the podcast um, and there will be the, the, those links will be there together with the link to Idea Austin. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. Um, I'm Miriam Chauvet from Brainstorm Digital and I'll see everyone on the next episode of How I Scaled My Aesthetic Clinic.